Good morning. This morning we're going to um, continue this short little two-part series that we're doing in light of the season that we find ourselves in as uh, we uh, are, I'm sure you are daily confronted with the reality of, uh, of division, of, um, of conflict, of disagreement as we look towards the election coming up um, and all sorts of other issues in our country. Um, we're going to look this morning at Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3, right, which I think is, is very applicable um, as far as, like last week we looked at what should our mindset be over the coming months, and, and uh, I was trying to remind us, I think God's word reminds us, that the Lord reigns, and we need to remember that, and we need to be confident in that, we need to rest in that. Um, Today I want to look more at what is, what is our role as God's children, what is our role as the church uh, in the midst of all of the division and conflict and, uh, uh, that, that's going on in our, in our nation and, and probably around you. Um, and uh, So we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 1 to 3, just to remind you um, the first half of Ephesians, the, the book of Ephesians is a letter written by Paul to churches in Ephesus. and. Uh, and the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 3, are all about what God has done to bless his people. To, 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 he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to, to die for his people so that they would be forgiven, so that they could be adopted, so that they could experience his love and blessing. Um, the first three chapters are all about what God has done for us. And then the chapters 4 through 6 are about how we should live in light of that you're going to see this. He, he, he immediately starts saying, this is how you should walk. This is how you should live your life in light of what God has done. So um, those who are young who are listening um, right now, I have a couple questions for you. Um, first question is, do you like hugs? Do you like hugs? Um, do you like to get hugs? Do you like to give hugs? Why are hugs good sometimes? Why do we give somebody a hug? Why does it feel good to get a hug? Um, one of the things that I, I want to kind of focus on today is, is the job of Christians. The job of the church is to do in the world something similar to what hugs do in giving comfort and care and love and, uh, and presence. And so listen to God's word as I read from Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace let's pray father we pray that you would uh, take these verses here from ephesians and that your spirit would um, clearly reveal what you want us to see, what you want us to understand, what, that, that your spirit would, would reveal the truths here that, that should be shaping us as your people as we live today. Help us to see it and help us to apply it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Does someone need a hug? These are the words of Buddy the Elf from the movie Elf. 
Um, if you've seen the movie, as he's walking through the forest at one point, maybe you might say he's frolicking through the forest, I don't know. But he's, he's, he's going through the forest, and then he comes upon a raccoon. And apparently, you know, living in the North Pole, all the animals talk, and they're very friendly. So when he sees the raccoon, he immediately says, Hi, I'm Buddy. What's your name? And the raccoon kind of stands up on its hind legs and then hisses at him. And then, and then Buddy, being the friendly elf that he is, he's like, Oh, does someone need a hug? And he starts reaching down with his arms stretched out, getting closer and closer to the raccoon, and the raccoon just launches itself at Buddy's neck, and his jaws clamp down on Buddy as he's like trying to fight him off and just survive. Um, I think that the raccoon is, in, in a lot of ways, a picture of, of how a lot of people are feeling <laughs> in our world right now. Um, there's a lot of people who we look around, and, and they're just very sensitive, I mean, because of, of what we've been going through um, with the pandemic, with COVID, people are sensitive, pe- people are more easily offendable maybe than they normally are, um, maybe not, um, but then as the election approaches and, and we have people with, with very different viewpoints constantly interacting um, and, uh, and, and you just see people who are very easily triggered, like the raccoon, you know, but, but the reality is, is that that raccoon, as much as he's trying to, to like, pull the jugular out of, uh, out of Buddy's neck, he, he, the reality is, is he does need a hug. Uh, the, the raccoon is, is, is very likely scared and anxious and afraid. And that's, I think, the reality of a lot of people today. Um, and, and the reality is, is, that, is that I think the people around us need a hug. They need someone to care someone to um, move towards them in love. And so um, I, I'm, I'm probably not one to talk because I'm not normally the biggest advocate for hugs, like some people I know. Um, but uh, the reality is I think that God calls us as his people to, to be people who are regularly looking around us to see how we can give a hug to the people around us. And by that, I don't mean a literal physical hug, okay? Maybe sometimes it's appropriate I don't mean, I, and I've seen guys before, you know, who stand out on the street corner with a big sign that says free hugs. Um, I've, I've known guys who've done that, and, and that, you know, that just makes me uncomfortable, to be honest with you. Probably make a lot of people uncomfortable. I'm sure some people take them up on it. But, but what I'm talking about, as, as Christians, what we're called to do is, is to be people who are moving towards others and giving what hugs give and, and, and love and, and care, um, compassion comfort. I mean, what, one thing that hugs do is they, they bring people together, right? Um, that we should be moving towards people as peacemakers to bring people together um, rather, kind of, rather than adding to the conflict. Um, and so that's what God calls us to do. And, and what I want to do this morning is, is to look at, at three things from these verses that, um, that I, I think will help us as God's people to move towards others others with this sense of compassion and comfort and love. And uh, you might think it's cheesy, but my three points actually spell hug. If you, ha- if you, if you don't notice, I'm going to spell it out for you right now. It's, it's humility, it's unity, and it's grace. And as cheesy as that, that, that might sound to some of you, I guarantee you that most of you will remember the three points, okay? Humility, unity, and grace, all right? So first, verse 1 says that, that he calls us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received. So how should we walk? The very first thing he mentions in verse 2 is what? 
to walk with all humility. To walk with all humility. If we should be known by anything as Christians, we should be known as people who are humble. Humility should characterize us. It's interesting. I mean, as I said before, the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul is talking about everything that God has done, right? And now, and now he says, okay, now this is how you should respond. This is how your life should look. This is what you should do. And the very first thing he says is humility. Your life should reflect real humility. And that's maybe one of the, the, the toughest questions I want to just ask you this morning. If, if, if I were to ask the people around you that know you, to describe you, is humility one of the first things that would come to mind to them? It's the first word that Paul uses that should describe us. Is it the first word that other people think of when they think of you? Is it the first word that other people think of that don't know you that well, that you maybe just interact with for a few minutes for whatever reason? You know, if, if, you, if you are online and you use social media, would you say that the people who read what you post would describe you as humble. Humility should mark us as God's people. Humility. I, I think when it comes to politics or other things that people feel really strongly about, humility is often nowhere to be found in the, in the words used to describe us. We are absolutely certain of our viewpoint. We hear an opposing opinion and we immediately judge them. I just watched, I don't know who posted it, some, uh, somewhere, on, I think it was on Instagram, somebody posted an old video of John Cleese, I, I don't know how old it was, but it might have been on Monty Python or something like that, and it's a video about, he's like encouraging people to be as extreme as they possibly can be. Because if you're extreme, then you can just look at everybody on the opposite end and label them as bad and evil because you're good. And that's, I think, what we tend to do, not, not just about politics, but about everything in life about people that disagree with us. I'm so certain that what I know and what I believe is right, that everybody else who doesn't agree with me is wrong. And they're not just wrong, they're bad. They're evil. They're beneath me. Humility means that we are aware. We are more certain of our own failures than we are of the people around us. Humility means that, that we're more confident in our own sin than of the people around us. And, and how does that impact the way that we interact with people? Well, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, right? A, a humble person is going to be more gentle with the people around them. They're going to be more patient with the people around them. They're going to be more willing to bear with one another in love. We need humility. Humility should be something that is essential to who we are in all of our interaction. You know, in, in our interaction with, with our family members around the dinner table, our interaction with our friends that we gather, that, that we get together with and, and hang out with, and, and, and in our interaction with, with yeah, strangers and, and people maybe even uh, on, on, on Facebook, right? With our coworkers. The question is, how do we move towards this humility? Where does humility come from? I, I just heard a, another pastor this week point out that, that humility, one thing that, that produces humility is when you spend time with somebody who's obviously greater than you are. 
And it's no, I think it's, 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 uh, it's, it's no surprise now that, that Paul immediately says, um, this is how you should walk with humility after he spent three chapters meditating on God, thinking about who God is and what he has done, talking about the glory of God, talking about the power of God, talking about the sovereignty of God, and moving all things towards its conclusion in unity under the head of Jesus, talking about the, the, the kindness of God and the love of God and the wisdom of God. He's spent the first three chapters just kind of marinating in the greatness and glory of God. And so, of course, I think it's, it's natural that the first thing on his mind is that, yeah, we should respond by being humble. And so how do we grow in humility? We spend time with God. We spend time meditating on who God is. We spend time thinking about how great he is, thinking about what we talked about last week, that he reigns over all things. The more time we spend thinking about God, the more time we spend in God's presence, just talking to him, listening to him, meditating on his word, that's going to naturally produce people who are humble, people who are, 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 are quick to, to be patient with others around us, to seek to understand the people around us, and to be compassionate to those who, who, who do differ from us and disagree with us. In order to give hugs, we need to be humble. In order to move towards people in love, we need to be humble. So that's the first thing. We, we, he, he talked about humility as a thing that should mark us as his people. Secondly, in, in addition to being known for our, our humility, we, we should be known by, by our unity. Paul encourages the church to bear with one another in love, and then he, and then he says that, that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, unity is something that, especially today, is exceptional. It's supernatural. It stands out in stark contrast to what we see in our world, doesn't it? I mean, you, you look at the news, and, and what do you see? You see people debating and arguing with one another, hating one another. You see people violently acting out against others. See people shouting at one another. You, you, all you see really is conflict and disunity when we look around us. For the church to, to, to really display unity is going to, to stand out in our culture. And I think we will set a, a real example for how people can love one another. Our, our, our culture, everywhere we look, we see disagreement, we see conflict, we see anger, we see people canceling each other, right? I hear people all the time just being like, I just can't, I just can't with you, right? To be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, that, that, that phrase should not even be in our vocabulary with other Christians. No matter how much we might disagree with them over how to fix things, we should never come to the point where we're just like, I, I just can't with you. Because we, we should be pursuing loving one another, understanding one another, listening to one another, caring for one another in the midst of our disagreements, recognizing that, that we are all bound by one spirit, 
that as we have come to know Jesus and trust in him, that he has, that, that the spirit of God is actually working in us, living in us. And that no matter what else we might struggle to, to, to agree on, or, or we struggle to even understand with each other, that, that we have that one common thing that, that supersedes all else. And so we must be committed to loving one another and not giving up on one another. We need to be committed to moving towards one another. And this is the thing. I think some of us think that we maybe are, we, we feel really uh, unified in our church, um, but, but maybe the reality is, is that you just tend to just hang out with all the people that agree with you. <laughs> One of the realities about unity, about being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, is that we shouldn't just be satisfied in hanging out with the people that agree with us. We need to be looking at other Christians who don't agree, other Christians who are very different from us, whether it's economically or eth- ethnically, um, and, and any, any, any way, shape, or form. And we should be working to move towards them to build relationship. To, again, as I said, to listen and to understand one another and to, to learn how to love one another in the midst of our differences. The only way that we can really bring um, an actual productive hug to our culture, to our nation, is by doing it together as one. As Jesus talks about in John 17, he prays in John 17 his high priestly prayer. And what was one of the things that marked that high priestly prayer is he prayed for unity. He prayed that, his, that those who believe in him would be one as the Father and the Son are one. Why? So that all the world would know that Jesus came from God. So that he would be revealed to the world. Our unity is essential to our ministry, to our role that, we, that, that God calls us to have in this world and in our nation. We need to seek to be one with one another, especially those of us who are on different ends of the political spectrum. Lastly, we should be known for grace. We should be known for grace. If, if you come back to verse 1, Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And, and when I hear him say that, immediately my gut reaction is to think, okay, God is holy, he is perfect, he is righteous. And so the way that I need to walk, if I'm going to walk worthy of him, is I need to be, be living, I need to be seeking to live a, a life that is holy and righteous. I need to be, to be living a life that is faithful and a life of integrity, right? And I think that is all part of what he wants here, all part of what he's saying, that, that as God's children, as we come to believe in him and we're made his children, we should reflect his attributes in our lives, right? But within that, what I want to highlight that's that's essential to who God is, is grace. Again, if you you go back and if you read the first three chapters of Ephesians, what does Paul talk about maybe more than anything else in the first three chapters of Ephesians? He talks about how God has poured out his grace upon us. He mentions the word grace ten times in the first three chapters of Ephesians. He is battering home this truth that, that part of who God is is he's a God of grace. He's a God who, who comes to people who are unworthy. He comes to people who, who have offended him. He comes to people who are dead in their sins, and he moves towards them 
with compassion and kindness and love and power. He doesn't treat us based on what we deserve. He loves us in spite of the fact that we're completely undeserving. Right? In, in, in Ephesians 2, the, 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 one of the most famous verses about grace, right? By grace we have been saved through faith. This is not from ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God. The, the first three chapters are very much about the, the fact that God is gracious. He is full of grace. And so to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called is to, to, to live lives that are permeated by grace in all of our interactions with people. When somebody deserves my judgment, when somebody deserves me, when I think I need to retaliate against somebody because they have insulted me, because they have disrespected me, to live a life of grace is to, is to only say kind things, to, to only move towards them for their good, to show patience, to love and to care for them. That's how he calls us to live right now in, 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 this, in this context of conflict and anger a lot of the time. When somebody comes at us as a Christian and hurts us, we are to move back towards them with kindness and compassion and comfort and blessing. Grace should permeate all of who we are. That is what it means to walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In Matthew 18, Jesus talks about the, the, the parable of the unmerciful servant. If you're familiar with that, where there's, a, there's this servant who owes a, a king this huge amount of money. And the king wants to throw him in prison, but the guy begs, pleads for mercy, and then the king decides to show him mercy. And he says, okay, I'm going to forgive your debt. I'm going to show you grace, and I'm going, to, I'm going to say, you don't have to pay me back. And then what does that guy do? That servant then turns around after he's been forgiven, after he's been shown this immense grace and forgiven this huge debt, he turns around, and then he finds this guy who owes him this small, this tiny amount comparatively to what he owed the king. And how does he treat him? First, he strangles him, grabs him by the neck, and then he has him thrown in jail. And the king finds out about this. And how does the king react? He's furious. Because the obvious point is that when you experience grace, you should become a gracious person. In the, in the words that you use as you interact with people, in your actions, in the way that you use your resources, we should be people that are driven by grace, that are defined by grace. As God has shown us more grace than we could even understand in forgiving us for our sins. And, and there's two things we need to, we need to realize in, in light of this. That, that if we're going to be gracious people, if we're going to be people who are full of grace, if, we're, if our lives are going to be permeated by grace, we need to realize that grace costs something. Grace always costs something. When someone attacks you, when someone offends you, to respond with kindness, to respond by blessing them, it's going to cost you something. 
I mean, you look at that parable. What it, the parable of the unmerciful servant, it, it cost that king that, that huge amount of money. He had to absorb that debt so that the other guy didn't have to pay it back. Right? It costs something for us to, to, to be kind in the face of an insult. To say good things that build the other person up after they've just torn you down. Again, this, this goes for all of life, not just the political arena. To, uh, one of the marks of, of, of a person who has experienced grace is, is, is a person who is praying for others. For their well-being and their good. No matter, even if we struggle to respect them or like them. We need to be, be living lives that are, that are defined by grace, that are permeated by grace. But we need to realize that grace is going to cost us. But, but, the, uh, but the, the good news, the, uh, the encouraging news is that also that, that grace can change people. Grace has the power to change people. That's Paul's whole point with this letter. If you've experienced the grace of God, then your life should be changed. You should look different. And the beauty is, is that if we become people as God's children, people who are, are displaying grace, because again, that's a supernatural thing. That's something that's, that's unusual to see in our world. If we display grace, that has the power to change people, to soften people's hearts. To bring peace where there is conflict. So we need to be people who are we're demonstrating grace. I've, I've seen it, you know, just in, in a small little practical way in my own, in my own life. Or in, as, as I've looked at parents and their little children, you know, there, there are times when a, when a, when a little, little child will, will do something disobediently and the parent will correct them. And then the child will lash out and get angry and get furious and start screaming and kicking and hitting, maybe even spitting. Who knows? They might cry out, I hate you. I wish you were dead. And, and, and when, you're, when you're experiencing that kind of treatment, what you want to do is say, okay, I'm just going to pile on the consequences. I'm going to pile on the punishment. You know what you deserve? You deserve you know, no dessert for the rest of the month. No more video games. Nothing fun for you. you know? What we want to do is the, 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 uh, the temptation is to, to bring down the hammer of judgment. But then if, 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 if as a parent we will slow down and maybe kneel down and put our arms around the child. What I have seen, it doesn't always happen this way, but what I've seen is that child then begin to weep and melt and embrace and to be moved to repentance, to, to say, I'm sorry. Their whole disposition changes. I mean, that's, that's what grace does. When we move towards others with grace, it has the power to change. God has a, it can, can change people through that. And so that's who God calls us to be, to be people who are moving towards others in our world right now, in our nation right now, the people that we work with, the people in our, in our families, our, friend, our circles of friends, the people that, that we don't get along that well with. The people on social media, we're, we're called to, to approach the election and, and as, as we find ourselves in the midst of, of, of others who hate and distrust and who think the worst of one another, we are called to be those who bring a hug 
with humility and unity with grace. And I, I wouldn't recommend this movie as something that you should go out and see, okay? But uh, we watched this movie called Spies in Disguise. It's an animated movie um, not too long ago with our kids. And, and uh, it's, it's about a secret agent, you know, who, who loves to, who's a really talented secret agent. And, and as often what secret agents do, you know, they, they have all these, you know, grenades and bombs and, and he uses them to fight these bad guys. And, and, uh, and, and he's very frustrated, though, because his tech guy, you know, the guy who invents all of their gadgets, you know, to conquer the bad guys. Well, his tech guy's name's Walter. And, uh, and, and he has this philo- philosophical issue with always creating things that destroy and hurt people. And so he wants to create gadgets that, that are not as violent. And so there's this one scene where, where Agent Sterling, the main character, kind of comes back, one of the main characters, he comes back from a, from a mission, and he's furious at Walter because Walter has switched out all of his bombs and grenades for glitter explosions. And so when he was out there trying to fight the bad guys, all of a sudden he was like throwing these things and just glitter was exploding everywhere. And he was just like, Walter, you can't fight fire with glitter. You have to fight fire with fire or or you're just going to get your face burned off. You know, I need my grenades. In the end, he says, I need my grenades because you can't save the world with a hug. And Walter then takes this moment to demonstrate this new device that he's working on called the inflatable hug where he takes this little pink unicorn and he presses a button and this, this big bubble just like inflates out to protect him. And, uh, and this is the, the reason I showed this is because he, he, in the end, he says earnestly, I, you know, Walter says, I'm just saying, you can do a lot more by bringing people together than by blowing them up. And, uh, and I think that's who God has called us to be as his people, to, to, to be moving towards our nation towards the people in our country right now, the people around us, seeking to bring them together in humility with grace rather than trying to blow them up (laughs) or standing by and watching them blow one another up. God has brought us near to him through the sacrifice of his son, the one who, in all of history, the only one who is perfectly humble, right? Jesus was perfectly humble, putting others' needs above his own, putting our desperate need for forgiveness above his own needs, willing to, 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 to sacrifice himself, showing us grace at great cost to himself, at ultimate cost to himself, dying on the cross. The one who is absolutely one with his father, demonstrating unity, what what real unity is. And so I I think in response to what he has done, let's consider how we can walk in a manner worthy of the fact that God has graciously embraced us as we think about all of our relationships right now. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us, um, help us really as we look at this coming week, as we look at these coming months, as we encounter frustration and anger and division, as we, countered, as we encounter disagreement, that, that we would really consider how we can change as your people to demonstrate more humility, to uh, stand together in unity, and to move towards others in gracious love. 
thank you for the way that you've moved towards us. We pray that you'd help us to, to rest in that, to be changed by it. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, in response to God's word, let's take